Yeah. Um, this is Scott Stevens, who's currently an armor battalion commander in the U.S. Army. Plenty of no shit there was combat stories, right? But we'll save those for a beer sometime. And he's doing some things that, I gotta say, are pretty phenomenal. Hey, so, you know, we're talking unconscious biases, right? And this is the one that I used that was sort of an aha moment for me as well as a man. As you may or may not know, the Army is currently wrestling with some pretty important questions, primarily about sex. One of the biggest questions stems from what is hoped to be a watershed moment in the release of the Fort Hood Report, an independent review of alarming events which have taken place at that post. The review committee's findings were clear. Sexual harassment and sexual assault prevention are broken. So what do you do? To Scott, the answer was clear. We have to shift our perception of the problem. And how do you do that? Well, it starts with a little self-realization like this. So no shit there I was walking down the street in Baltimore when I was stationed in DC. And this dude, you know, this random person that I don't know in front of me just like falls out, boom, hits the pavement. I'm like, crap, you know? So I do my thing and I run over and I'm, you know, I'm like rendering aid. I'm like trying to figure out what's going on. And about the same time, this, this young woman runs up and kneels down beside me and she starts doing her thing, right? And I look at her, I swear to you, right in the eyes. And I'm like, oh, hey, are you a nurse? And she goes, no, I'm an ER doctor. And I'm like, okay, I'm just gonna go crawl into the street drain now and like die. And I'm like, okay, clearly you're very prepared. Like, how can I help you, right? Um, but it's just, I use that as a great example of sort of my own unconscious biases at work and, you know, gender roles and things like that, right? And she's like, no, I'm, I'm actually an ER doctor. Like, here's what we need to do. And I'm like, okay, roger that. So anyway, no shit there I was face to face with my own unconscious sexist biases. And it was, it was actually a pretty helpful experience. You might ask, so what? What does this sharing do? This sharing by a leader helps others identify their own biases. It is the first lurch in a critical and major culture change shifting the focus from preventing victims to preventing violators. And let's be real, the bulk of the work falls on the shoulders of men. It requires men to stand up, demand better from each other, and tell each other, be better, dude. Welcome to No Shit There I Was, a show committed to sharing the stories and experiences of those in and around the military for everyone to hear. So please, relax and enjoy. Anyone who has ever spent any amount of time in the military can tell you that the most comical phrase you can ever hear in advertisements are the words, military grade. But putting lowest bidder jokes aside, I've worn out enough Velcro on cargo pockets and bought enough pairs of hiking socks to know that durability isn't always a factor when it comes to outfitting America's military. Let's just say this, there is a reason that the suppliers always make sure to produce plenty of replacements. So if you're looking for some new unit threads, you don't have to settle for some mass-produced trash with a silkscreen logo that'll be cracked after 10 washings. There's a better way, and that way is Emblem Athletic. Emblem will work with you to create a custom design that'll be dyed directly into your gear so that it will never crack, peel, or fade. Be confident in knowing that you are wearing quality gear that was hand-sewn and put together to meet your satisfaction guaranteed. All you have to do is go to emblemathletic.com and smash a red button that says, Take Style Quiz. For all your custom gear needs, make sure to check out Emblem Athletic. Absolutely not military grade. 
This episode is brought to you by Desert Tactical Fitness, a warrior-owned company who is pushing for fitness for all. One particular irony of Army life, which I recall, is the expectation for elite levels of fitness, but never being in places that had what I needed to maintain it. Whether you're on a range for a week trying to sling rounds, or fighting for the liberation of Atropia at a CTC, it's hard to get your swole on in the same place you find yourself eating MREs. That's where Desert Tactical Fitness comes in, with field expedient sandbags you can lift, swing, or throw to your heart's content. That's right, no more dreading soreness because you had to miss leg day or feeling out of shape because you had to get some army training. They're built to last, but if they do break, they can be repaired for free for up to two years. Visit DesertTacticalFT.com to purchase and follow them on Facebook or Instagram for announcements and workouts. Okay, well, today uh, we have Scott Stevens on the on the show. Really excited about this for a whole bunch of different reasons, but uh, first, so Scott is currently the battalion commander for 1st Battalion, 64th Armor Regiment. Am I right on that? Did I get that right? You got it. Desert Rogues. Is it still desert or are y'all going through a rebranding? Because I've seen No, you no, no. Rogues. Still Desert Rogues, man. I don't think I could ever rebrand or I would get <laughs> murdered, you know, by I'm the sure. regimental, uh, for the former Rogue Sixes. It's a pretty historical sure. regiment, you know? Oh, yeah. Yeah, just like <laughs> tens of thousands of, of Desert Rogues coming, you know, oh, yeah. coming for you. Be drawn and quartered um, in the regimental <laughs> room. Um, but really excited this, to do this episode uh, because Scott has been doing some really, really incredible things. I, I don't think I've ever seen any commander on any level do. And we'll get into that. But first, I want to give Scott a chance to kind of give his own intro, talk about who he is and where he's from and where he comes from in the army and, and then in the world. So go ahead, please. Yeah, thanks, dude. I mean, so first, yeah, yeah, you know, I always get a good laugh. You've seen the uh, the Pirates of the Caribbean meme where he's like, you know, ah, oh, but you have heard of me. Like, that's what I feel like now when I talk to some like geos and stuff, you know, like, hey, are you the guy from Twitter? And it's like, oh, yeah, but you have heard of me. So, yeah, man, been in the Army like 22 years this January, which sounds like a really long time, I guess. It doesn't feel like it's been a long time. You know, I was enlisted for a few years. Guard and Reserve kind of stuff. Commissioned ROTC. You know, shortly after 9-11, and then, you know, kind of went off to the races from there. Been everything from platoon leader to a battalion commander now, um, always in armored formations. So I don't have a lot of diversity in terms of organizations, but, you know, it is what it is. Um, I've enjoyed that journey. You know, handful of tours in combat, handful of other deployments, handful of broadening assignments, you know, the, the normal sort of resume, I guess. But, uh, yeah, man, happily married for 17 years. My wife, Raina, is also a veteran. Uh, which is super cool. Uh, so we get to talk a lot about you know our experiences and some of the some of the interesting conversations we've had about the, how are those experiences different you know as a man and a woman. Right. Three kids. You know, twins were our first uh, combat deployment gift. Um, <laughs> and uh, and then our little guy Knox, uh, who we like you know say was our first midlife crisis when we were stationed out at Fort Irwin for almost four years. And Reem was like, "I'm bored. I want another baby." He's like, "Okay, well, I guess that's what we're doing then." Yeah, man, got a got a great family, great life. I have very little to complain about at the end of the day. That's awesome. Uh, so, how many deployments have you done while you've had kids? All of them, right? So, our, we actually had our twins on our first Iraq deployment, which is a hilarious story. But that would be a whole separate podcast. But you know, she got pregnant right before I deployed, and then I came home on R and R nine months later, nine months into that deployment. Oh, I have three. You know, back in two thousand four five time frame. And uh, had the twins, and then I went back for a couple months, and then, you know, I've done five deployments since then. 
Um, and man, they just, they just keep getting harder and harder. You know, I've had a lot of conversations with people about sort of the cumulative effect of deployments. Like, it's not like, you know, you hit, it's not like you hit that reset button on the dwell time and it's like, Oh, I'm, you know, I'm good to go. I'm back to zero. And we spend a lot of time talking about that and sort of what our future holds. And, you know, I yeah. can retire about this time next year. Um, I don't know. I still got some, in some ways I still got a lot of gas in the tank, but in some ways it's like, man, could also uh, really enjoy spending a lot of time on my boat. So, you know, we'll see how it goes. <laughs> yeah. Right. So I, I've got a, my brother is currently a, a battalion commander and uh, he has three kids. And so I, I oh, think wow. they have the same kind of conversations. Yeah. I don't know, man. I think at the end of the day, what I tell people is as long as I can continue to make a difference in the army and continue to try and impact positive change, then I'll stay. If I start just kind of marking time or collecting a paycheck, then that's time to move on to other things. So you know, when I, I think yeah. when I lose the passion for it, um, which I don't, I don't know if I will, but you know, you got to balance it all out. You know, Rena's got her career and everything now. And so it's, those are tough decisions, you know, it really are. Yeah. Well, and I, you know, I, I think about my experience and, you know, those are those same decisions that have at a, at a much earlier point or what, yeah. you know, or, or kind of what led me to, to make my departure and, yeah. and say, Hey, well, I, you know, I want to give my wife these opportunities and you know, I think I can find, the things that, that drive me, you know, outside the military, which has been its own journey in and of itself, but that's another topic altogether. Yeah, for sure. But I, I think the thing that really kind of rings true in what you said is that as long as you have passion for it and you have passion for the problem sets you're facing and, and to go chase after those and, and yeah, in a different way, violently execute as we, as we say. Dude. Yeah. And I just, I'm just super into the new generation of leaders and soldiers, right? Like, and, and we could do a whole podcast on just generations and, and you know, cultural differences, right? But I, I just really see something in them, right? And how they see the world and the potential that they have. And, and but they need old guys like us, you know, to sort of shepherd them into the profession, right? Because, dude, some of these young leaders and young soldiers are on fire. Like, I'm telling you. Yeah. Like they're going to, they're going to conquer the world. Um, but they, you know, they, but they need, they need sometimes that voice of experience and they need that guiding hand, not to like kind of stomp them back down. Right. Which is what I think a lot of people try to do. Right. And look at the, right. you know, the Y generation and this and that and sort of disparage them. But I try to look at it through a much different lens and it's like, Hey, how do we, like they're the future, man. Like I tell, I tell these lieutenants all the time, you know, and my young soldiers, I'm like, Hey, I'm going to be on my boat in a couple of years. Like, this is all going to be yours. If I don't help shepherd you into the profession into a way that you'll grow sort of a love and passion for it, like I have over the years, then like I'm failing you. Right. So I spent, I spent a lot of energy and focus on that. And I think, you know, I think a lot of times they get a bad rap, but I see something in them that is really positive, I think, for our future, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And while you're talking about it, it makes me think about, I think there's the common thought that, well, every, you know, every old officer or NCO thinks the young folks are just, you know, always asking too many <laughs> yeah. questions and blah, 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 yeah. blah. But I do think there are some pretty key cultural differences in young people coming up now, as opposed to even as recent as I would yeah. say, like our age group, when we came up, um, we didn't have like how many combat vets would you really go and look at before 2001, like maybe yeah. a handful of a handful of folks that were actually involved in, in desert storm. Yeah. Um, 
No, I mean, my first deployment, my, the only combat patch in my unit was our first sergeant. It was from Panama, I think, you know? Right. Um, and yeah, I, I spent the first 10 years of my career in ground combat, you know? Yeah. Um, when we talk about, you know, hey, what was, you know, my formative years and things like that. And it was like, it, mine was sort of marked by survival, I think, in a lot of ways, you know, like yeah. personal survival, survival in combat, survival of my soldiers, my just mm-hmm. trying to, you know, survival of my marriage, survival of my family who was trying to hold it down. Um, right. And so you can't look back, you can't look at the new generation with sort of those same expectations, right? In a lot of ways, like, and, and I'm pretty open and forthright with them. I'm like, hey, if I could go back in time and do things a lot differently, I, I may not be where I am now because I may have gotten out, you know, I've, I've seriously considered getting out of the army a few times. And, you know, and I think I've made, you know, if I'm just being candid, I've probably made selfish decisions for my career at the cost of my family more times than I care to admit. And so that's why I'm yeah. trying to make amends for it, you know, sort of later in my life. And so I try to help them not make some of those things like, Hey, just be careful what you're chasing, you know, right. they're all very passionate and they're all chasing something, but I really try to coach them very early on, on in balance, you know, and not don't feel guilted to stay in the army. You know, I feel like early on some, some, sometimes I felt people try to guilt me into staying in, you know, and, I think there's a lot to that. And then you just got to kind of understand like, Hey, they, I have, you know, I have officers now who weren't, who were barely alive on nine 11 or they were in diapers, you know? Yeah. So they just see the world differently. They don't see it through the same yeah. lens we do. And if we don't take the time to sort of appreciate that and understand what that means for the future and what they want for the future, like it's time for you to go home, you know? Yeah. I love that you think of it that way. And, and I think it's extremely important too, for folks to be around, not to be the, the old vet that's like, Oh, well, you know, you weren't around during the war and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. You know, this won't, this won't work. Like, no, you're there to teach the lessons, <laughs> the good, the bad, and the ugly of, yeah. wow, we really got this wrong, but here's some good things that we learned too, that you could probably benefit oh, for from, sure. from knowing. Yeah. I mean, just the tactical level alone, right? I mean, forgotten more about fighting than, yeah, than they'll ever know, um, which I'm okay with, you know, but I like to think of myself as sort of like Gandalf the White Wizard, you know, or so, you know, <laughs> trying to help shepherd the young, yeah, shepherd the young ones along, you know. No, it's super important, and I think tying into you know probably some of the things we're going to talk about is I I just have a lot of faith in that generation, and part of it's I have you know my twins are almost sixteen now, right? So I call them my Gen Z cultural advisors, <laughs> but I think they're way more sort of open minded and progressive and desiring of equality and inclusivity than we give them credit for and well beyond what like we are and even what we can be, I think, at my age. So I think there's a lot of hope there, right? So we start talking about things like equality and gender inclusivity and things like that, right? Switching it up a little bit, the Fort Hood report or, or yeah. and really it's, it's not just what happened with Fort Hood. It's, it's several events that happen within the same two to three year time span. But let's just talk about that watershed event of the, the events that spurred the report and then the, the report itself. So, yeah. So, listen, you know, Vanessa Guyon's death was like tragic, right? When you when you read about it, if it doesn't just rip your heart out, then you, you don't belong in this profession. You're not I'd argue like, are you even a human being? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Do um, you even belong in this culture? I mean, co- correct. Right. But I, what I would what I would say is it, it's not singular of that 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 one event, right? I think what right. happened was then, you know, that event and her death caused 
the Army to have to take a hard look at itself through the lens of the Fort Hood Independent Review Committee, right? And and as they went in and sort of dug around and you know in Fort Hood and really looked at things, you know, I think it it really sort of forced us to come to terms with things that we already knew were there. I mean, certainly our women have known that these challenges have been there, and 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 a lot of our men to the same regard, right? But it sort of forced us to no longer be able to ignore them, right? And I think it forced a lot of leaders to do some introspection and really do some reflection and think about, you know, how well they've done addressing these issues, right, or these challenges. Right. Um, but it sort of, it just sort of ripped the scab off, right? And then, you know, the flooded and then, you know, sort of about the same time I was really getting big into, you know, back big into social media and thinking about taking command into the summer there. And the, you know, I am Vanessa Guyan movement, right, uh, on Twitter, where women really started to lay out their stories. And what it really, I think, made a lot of men realize is like, wow, these aren't, these aren't other people, right? These are, these are women that I know. These are, these are soldiers that I know, um, that this has probably been happening under my nose my entire career. And I've either right. um, not known about it, not cared to know about it. I've looked the other way or worse. I've somehow passively or actively contributed to this culture that allows these things to happen. And so I think when yeah. you look at it, from sort of that lens, I can't remember what the phrase you, you use, but I, I see it as more of a tipping point, right? Right, man? Yeah. And, but the thing about tipping points is, right, if you don't maintain momentum on the right side of the fulcrum, it can go the other direction too, right? And if we Absolutely. don't attack this and, and capitalize on the momentum we have right now, then it will tip in the other direction. And that direction is we lose the trust and confidence of the American people. Right. And, you know, we lose the, the faith of people who send their sons and daughters, husbands and wives, to serve with us. Right. Right. And that's, that's a national security issue, dude. That's not a, uh, that's not a culture, cancel culture, hippy dippy bullshit thing. Right. It's, yeah, definitely not. So, you know, I constantly say like, it, we have to think bigger, we have to think bigger. And that's, those are the sort of things I talk about. Yeah. When I think, so I was at Fort Hood. See, I was with first Cav yeah. on the 06 to 08 uh, deployment to Iraq and I was there, for, I think, for, I don't know, probably six months or so after uh, after that deployment, like weeks before the deployment started. So I can't really say too much. But I don't think anybody who's ever spent any significant amount of time at Fort Hood, you know, or looked at that report and said, oh, no, that totally doesn't make sense. I think everybody yeah. looked at it and said, yeah, that's that's the Fort Hood I know. Dude, I would I would argue with you. And this is what I talked to my leaders about I'm, when I'm when we read it and we sat down and talked about it. I was like, is anybody... I mean, think this is just a Fort Hood problem or is this a Fort Stewart problem, a Fort Drum problem, a Fort Carson Absolutely problem? Right. This is an army problem, right? It's Absolutely right. Defense problem, you know, um, it 100% is. Now, are there some contributing factors there at Fort Hood, you know, in terms of some of the you know dynamics, in terms of size, scope, scale, you know, resources, you know, yeah. um, crime and Kylene, things like that? Absolutely. Yeah. But dude, for the most part, when I read that, I'm like 100%. This is my battalion. Um, I, I have we have these challenges, and I need to attack them. Um, and I think anyone who thinks they don't are are naive to the point of not needing to be able to do this anymore. Yeah, and that's you know that that's really the point I wanted to get to is yeah. If I look at Fort Hood, it makes sense to me because I understand what's around there. But yeah, when I took when I took a step back, I said that could be Fort Benning, that could be Fort Bragg, that could be. You know, even Fort Lewis, completely surrounded by a major metropolis, yep. You know, in Tacoma, that could be Fort Lewis, and it, it, it just gets hidden better by being in that circumstance. I think. Oh, for sure. 
but then I, the key thing of what you, what you're talking about is the level of introspect. I think that is commanded by you know the the tipping point that watershed moment is key, and yeah, I think it it becomes very clear how serious people are by if they're still addressing it, if they're saying yeah. we're not there yet, and and they don't they don't just like get a few weeks down the road and then it's on to the next problem. Cause it's not, yeah, it's not just on to the next problem, right? It's, it's a, 100%. this is a persistent culture that takes persistent discipline to, to answer to. Bro. I have like, I've had some very interesting conversations with a lot of people. Right. And, right. and I constantly get asked like, dude, why are you so into this stuff? Like, and also get like the people who think that, you know, you could like the leaders can only do like one thing at a time. Right. They're like, bro, why are you always tweeting about feminism? Like you should be training your unit, you know? I'm like, yeah. okay, well let's, let's unpack that a little bit. Right. Um, yeah. you know, they're like, you know, why, why are you into all this cancel culture BS? And I, I mean, I've heard it all. Right. But at the end of the day, here's what, here's what I'm about, man. I'm about building teams. Right building strong, powerful teams where everybody wants to be there. Cause that's, if you don't do that first, like screw going out and trying to like work on your equipment or screw trying to go out and train and like, forget about trying to like go fight with these people. Right. If you're on a team where it's, you know, haves and have nots and people who, you know, aren't fundamentally safe being there. Right. And that's why I attack the, you know, sexual harassment, sexual assault so hard. It's like, it's a, this is like fractures. It's an insider threat. You know, people talk about, I don't like the word corrosives. Like it's, it's freaking insider threat. Right. These are, these are our soldiers doing these, doing these things to our other soldiers. Right. Um, when people ask me that, you know, and so I, I get this all like, why are you into all this woman stuff, you know? And, or uh, why are you, you know, constantly talking about, you know, racism and things. Like that? And so I just flip on the tab. I'm like, why aren't, why aren't you talking about it? And it's an interesting, you know, usually kind of get that pregnant pause. Right. I'm like, why right. aren't you talking about these things? Why aren't you addressing these things? Um, yeah. And that leads to some, that leads to some interesting answers. No, I'm sure. Well, I guess my question is, you know, I think plenty of people could look at some of the things that you do, some of the things that you say, and go, I mean, is he being authentic? Which brings me to the, the question I want to ask because I've asked myself this question: is yeah. what did? How did you look into yourself, and, and what were your answers about? you know, your history, the way you've acted yeah. in the past, right? It's a hard I, question, but. It is it. for sure. I mean, and I think us as men, like we have to do this, right? We have to take yeah. inventory, um, how we've treated particularly women over the course of our lives. Yeah. Cause I will be the first one to say I've, I've messed up big time in the past. Dude, for sure. Um, I mean, you talk to 18 year old private first class me and, Right, the things that were on my mind, and probably the you know the how I viewed women, right, and um, and my 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 gentlemanly pursuits, and probably a lot of times weren't with the best intentions in mind. Now, you know, I can I can one hundred percent without question sit here and tell you that I've never sexually assaulted someone, right? Right, same here. Yeah. And I've you know, but have I you know, when it comes to maybe harassment or sexism or microaggressions, have I have I watched it happen on my teams? Um, have I failed to sort of step in and intervene? You know, have I laughed along? hundred percent, hundred percent. Right. I'm sure we both yeah. did. Yeah. And you know, it, I mean, that's, I think you have to take that, you have to take that inventory first. You have to say, and so this is where I kind of lead in. I'm like, look, listen, I've failed, you know, for 22 years I've failed. And if I'm taking a hard look at myself 
And so this is kind of where I, I've really gotten into lately. You know, that's why I joke about calling this podcast like, hey, dude, be better, right? Because as I really start to dig into this and research and think about my own experiences, it, a lot of it ties back to how we develop as men. What are ideas and concepts of masculinity? Like, what does that mean, right? Like, what, is, what does it mean to be a man? Right. We start talking about gender terms and things like that. And I think about, you know, a lot of, you know, and I have some personal stories of, you know, I don't, I don't know, like, do you have any, like, do you have any experience with like PTSD or anything like that? I mean, it's kind of a personal question, but. No, I totally. I mean, I think it's completely imbalanced. I, yeah. Frankly, I, I've not had any you know major issues with post-traumatic stress myself. Yeah. Been through plenty, but I, I think. Yeah. You know, for whatever reason, I'm, I'm, I'm able to rationalize it and maybe and, and, and yeah. there might be a, a moment later in life where, you know, I have a, a trauma and that triggers something yeah. and, and then maybe I'm not so great and I, I will need to, to seek help for it. You know, I, I'm not yeah. going to count that out, but you know, to this point, I've been pretty fortunate that, that none of that's really boiled up. Yeah. I mean, see, so, you know, I haven't talked to many people about this, right. Openly, but, um, I, I, I kind of joke and, um, I'm, you know, I mean, we're in the army, we use dark humor sometimes, but I joke sometimes are like, yeah, All the time. like to toxic masculinity probably almost killed me at one point. Right. And yeah. what I mean by that, right. And this is what, so, what some of the discussions I have is like, so I had pretty, you know, I had pretty serious bouts with PTSD after, you know, a couple deployments. Right. Yeah. But here's the deal. I think we've come a long way on this, right. In terms of the stigma and things like that. But, um, the th the biggest thing I struggled with was, admitting that I, that maybe there were some things that I needed help with. Right. And that I could not sort of, I could no longer sort of suck it up and drive on. Right. You think about how we're sort of what's ingrained to us as men and warriors and um, yeah. young combat arms leaders. You know, I was always told by, by a leader who I, you know, I respect and admire, you know, but he, he would always say, Hey, you're not allowed to have a bad day. You're not authorized to have a bad day. And I don't, I don't like that much anymore. Right. Yeah. Um, I think we've all had those in our past. Yeah. And, you know, I, I remember, a, you know, when I was pretty down in a pretty dark place, um, having a, you know, who I consider to be a friend at the time, um, you know, excuse my language, but I think the term was like, hey, dude, you just kind of need to sack the fuck up and, and you'll be all right. You know, and that's, yeah. you, you know, so if for, for the un, uninformed, right, that means like, hey, you just need to grab your balls and kind of go on, right? Like kind of saying yeah. like, hey. You know, you're kind of being a bitch right now, right? Yeah, ruck up, buttercup. That's it, dude. Right, and and I'll tell you that pushed me into some pretty dark places to where I started yeah. to think, you know, hey, like, damn, like, do I even want to be alive anymore? Yeah, and just thank God that you know, for everyone like that, there was you know some other mentors who sort of noticed change in me and, and encouraged me to get help. And so, you know, coming out the other side of that, which I'm happy to report, you know, I've very happy, healthy, fulfilling life now. But just coming to terms with my own trauma, I think, you know, and sort of my journey through that and what, how, you know, growing up as a man, not, not only before the army, but, you know, through the army and sort of, I don't like the term toxic masculinity because it turns people off, right? Especially yeah. men. Because it's, it's, it's almost like a um, polarizing term. It, dude, it is. It's like, you know, it's like defund the police, right? Um, yeah. It's like, boom, automatically polarizing. So I, yeah. I've really started to think about it in terms of like healthy masculinity and unhealthy masculinity, right? Yeah, um, yeah absolutely. And so I'll just ask you, like I'll flip it on its head, right? Like, hey, how did you, what, what, what made you into a man growing up, right? Particularly in like how you viewed women. This is an interesting discussion I have with a lot of my men. No, I, I, that is an incredible question. You know, I, I think, you know, I had a great relationship with my mom and, and my sister. I, 
Yeah. Thought the world of him, still think the world of him, you know, and, and watching, I look at my sister as, you know, she's, she's a peer and I, watching her grow is, you know, gives me a lot of joy. And then yeah, uh, getting encouragement from my mom. And, but then I look at, you know, my own actions, Yeah, you know, earlier and I'm like, it's an interesting dichotomy, isn't it? It is. It is. And and so, I, you know, it's like when you sit there and you look at people yep. say, well, think about if that was your daughter or think about yeah. if that was your sister. Uh, yeah, like, I hate does, that. Does, yeah, does it really take that? Yeah. So here's where I take the discussion, Joey. It's like, okay, cool. Yeah. You had a mom and your sister. You loved and respected them. That's awesome. So did you learn about yeah. sex from your mom and your sister? Like, dude, where did you learn about sex from? Great. Um, yeah, great. Another great you question. Just blank square. So, you know, I, I hope this isn't too intrusive, but this is sort of the drill I run through with my men, right? It's no, it's like, okay. okay. I well, didn't learn from, I didn't learn it from them. So, yeah. So where did you learn it from? Uh, hey, I, I learned it from a very stuffy classroom <laughs> and then from, uh, from other, other male friends. Well, you're lucky if you got something that resembled sex education, right? Because a lot of our yeah. young soldiers don't, uh, depending on culturally, some cultures talk openly about it. Some don't. Right. Um, but right. for the most part, you're probably the same as me, dude. You probably got it in the locker room. Um, yeah. You probably got it through music. You probably got it through, you know, pornography. Um, yeah. And so how does that how did that shape our views of women growing up as men? Exactly. And, you know, and then you start talking about objectification. Right. And so those are the things I really think about. And I talk to my men about it's like, how did you how did you develop your views of women? And, you know, and then fast forward to now, right, dude, we talked about this a little bit earlier. Look at the just polarized, twisted views on what it means to be manly and masculine now, right? Like, you know, these cosplaying idiots out here throwing on tactical gear. And like, like, what are they trying to do? Like run around with long rifles, you know, in Starbucks. Like, what's yeah. that all about, dude? That's a topic I'm, I'm glad we're, we're tackling. So I kind of answer something you, you said before. I've reflected back on myself and I think, you know, Hey, when I was at West Point, you know, I called girls trowel. Yeah. That was wrong. I was wrong for that. You yeah. Know, that, that, that degraded them and, and didn't give them the credit to the kind of excellent people that they are. And, yeah. you know, I, but I, but I did little things like that, that degraded the incredible contributors that these, these people that serve beside yeah. me were and are and like and so and then you kind of fast forward and I reflected on well why did I do that I did it because I thought it was cool I thought it was the kind of the the man I was supposed to be you know to, yeah. to prove to the other guys that hey this is you know I'm, I'm part of this this club too and yeah but then it fast forward me to the same thought process well what what yeah. does it mean to be a man what does it mean to be masculine and how does that degradation make me any better yeah i guess any more effective as a person or, or yeah or how does that improve me and the fact is it doesn't at all yeah dude i'm gonna circle back to your west point experience here so don't let me forget that but this is a fascinating yeah. thing that i think about like hey what is what are what do you think of as some of the whole i have these fascinating conversations sometimes just in my own mind but what, what do you see as the hallmarks of masculinity like what does peak masculinity mean to you like any you know you think about things like strength power you know, things like that. Right. Uh, you know, um, and those, those hallmarks have really, for me, evolved a great deal in the last 10 years. Yeah. Probably more so than maybe the last five. Yeah. But it definitely started about 10 years ago and it's, it's yeah. changed a lot. And dude, I, and so here's the thing, right? I can't think of a single 
sort of trait of even like when I think about healthy masculinity, that isn't also a trait that like a woman should want to also strive to achieve, right? Like absolutely a strong emotional intelligence, strength, confidence. You know, you start rattling off any number of words and you're like, okay, like those are things that women should be allowed to, to do too, right? And so yeah. it's like, okay, well, what is what does it mean to be masculine? What does it mean to be manly? And it's just it just leads to some really fascinating and sometimes frustrating discussions with men, right? Because they cannot process it. Yeah. And it really starts, you know, I don't want to get like too geeky with you on gender theory and stuff like that too, right? That, hey, gender isn't binary. It's a spectrum, right? Like some some people are more, you know, masculine. Some people are more feminine, um, you know, and lo- most of us kind of fall somewhere in between, right? But what are all those traits that lie along that spectrum? Yeah. And, and it really is fascinating. What, but, uh, you know, I, to go back to what you said a little bit ago, and this is not to be like the, you know, if you, if you were to reference like racism in, in, the, in the same light you know, it's not like yeah. the, hey everybody's the same or, or or you know i see no i see no color like yeah it's not saying that when you think about the traits that make up healthy masculinity i mean yeah. they're really the traits that you look at and go this just kind of makes a good person like you healthy know, like, adults right like yeah. i am able to process emotions in a healthy and safe manner i treat yeah. people with respect i yeah. Um, I feel comfortable in my own skin. I, I yeah, I uh, I am able to have healthy, intimate relationships. Uh, you know what I mean? It's like like I don't feel threatened by other people's success and by them achieving the same yeah, as I can. So I've even stopped kind of trying to, but I think you know it's just hard. You got to kind of help men kind of get that right. You got to sort of help them reprogram, and that's what I just spend a lot of time with my men doing because they've just been it, they've just been infected right? With, with all yeah. of those things we sort of talked about and just helping them understand. You know, the other thing that I talk about when we talk about particularly gender integration, like you look at the infantry, man, the infantry is the last bastion of, you know, chest thumping masculinity left in the army, right? That's where when I, I came start from. talking my, about women. Yeah. yeah. When I start talking about women coming into their teams and they start getting super defensive, I, I, I stop and I'm like, what are you so afraid of? And, and they just kind of take pause. I'm like, what are you, what do you feel threatened by? And it's because they see it as sort of this zero sum game, right? That, you know, mm-hmm. for every inch she takes, I lose an inch. And it's just, it's, it's just mind boggling. Right. And we really have to help them sort of work through that. Well, so I, I kind of have a, an interesting perspective on that. Yeah. Not for the fact that I have like any sort of groundbreaking insight at all, but I, I was fortunate enough to be around when basically the first order came down and said, listen, women are coming to Ranger school. Yeah. I was a company commander at fifth Ranger training battalion. And that cracked open a series of, of long discussions about standards, why we have the standards that we do have. Yeah. What does this do to our training? And you know, like the amazing thing was that I thought was very cool was all the leaders that we had in the room said, this doesn't change the way we train people. Right. We know that the way we train people is the right way. And, right. and it's led to very successful people. And it makes that little piece of cloth that you get at the end, it yeah. gives it the weight that it carries. Yeah. Every discussion revolved around, we have to justify our standards to say that we, tr- well, we, we hold people to these standards so that they can achieve these things. Yeah. So that when, when people come back and later say, well, why are they so high? Are they truly gender neutral? Yeah. And, you know, and, that's, and that's a big question. I think they're still answering that question. I don't yeah. that yeah. you can't answer that simply easily. You have to have a lot of data. You have to have a lot of iterations to be able to do that. Yeah. But I think that's key to the answer of how do we get this right with gender yeah. integration is 
you got to justify the standards. You can't just say this is a you know this is a boys club and we're going to make these standards the way we want them because that's the way we want them. That's the way they've all, they've always been. Like it should be hard to be in the infantry. Like it should be a fairly high bar, right? I would hope. Yeah, but but it shouldn't be like institutionally exclusive of women. You know, and I think that's precisely the point. Exactly right. Hey, but circling back on um, your West Point because I'm really going to kind of latch onto this for a minute, right? Do it. Because I, this is 100% sort of the approach that I'm on and then I'm, I've latched on to, right? So you're talking probably when you, when you were an underclassman, right? Or, you know, predominantly when you're an underclassman. But if not, let me put words in your mouth. But I think, you know, how much of it was peer dynamics, right? Um, I'd say it was probably a pretty fair percent. Is that a fair statement? Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yeah, peer pressure, peer dynamics, which really psychologically come into play in our 24 and under crowd, right? Like it's hard psychology, um, peer dynamics, peer pressure, and the ability to sort of overcome that and step out from your peer group is pretty serious science. But here's what I would offer. Let me ask you this. Were your upperclassmen stepping in and intervening in those situations and, you know, stomping it out and or how much were they modeling appropriate behavior in that regard? I guess it's sort of a loaded question. You know, no, and that's, that's, I don't think it's a loaded question and I, I think it deserves a fair answer. You know, those, these conversations didn't, didn't happen around upperclassmen. They, like they happened yeah. within very small peer groups, close, you know, close friends. And I'm not to say that those didn't happen. Like my experience is not all inclusive of everybody's experience. Yeah. My experience has to do with you know, my own, but you know, there might might have been situations where people did have those conversations with upperclassmen and, and they did not correct it. But I, I would say that not a lot of people corrected it back then. Yeah. But to be fair, a lot of those conversations probably did happen within smaller groups where it was yeah. just, you know, smaller group of peers or that were in the same class. Yeah. So this is where I'm sort of going with this, right? And I, so I fundamentally believe this as we talk about preventing sexual assault and sexual harassment, which all lives on a spectrum, right? But it starts with, treating people as not our true equal, right? Right. And part of that starts with our words, our actions, the things we say about our teammates. In this context, I'm talking about our teammates who are women, right? Or, or teammates who are homosexual or transgender or, you know, um, other races than ourselves, right? right? Starts down the sort of spectrum, I call it spectrum to dehumanization, right? Because to violate someone's autonomy, to, to, sex, to rape someone, that is a pretty, you know, pretty much the next step beyond that's like murdering someone, right? In terms of violating right. their autonomy on uh, dehumanizing someone. But here's where I really believe when we talk prevention, right? These two things have to converge. And I talk about this a lot. So you, if you really look at sexual assaults and how much you've dug into the data uh, in the Army, the 18 to 24-year-old first-term enlisted, new-to-the-Army crowd are the most vulnerable as both perpetrators and as victims, these are young men and women who are brand new to the army, brand new to the profession, and in that 18 to 24-year-old cohort, right? E1 through E4. Right. I, I've really started to believe, and I've been reading a lot of studies and stuff lately, it says the group that has the most influence to be able to change this are the E4 and E5 second-term soldiers for a couple of reasons. One, what you just indicated, they have proximity, right? So so number one, they have proximity. They're, they're there. They're in the rooms when the conversations are happening, Right. Right. Number two, they have influence, right? They have the ability. They have the ability to step in and intervene and model better behavior, right? And in, and number three, they sort of well, number three, they can relate, right? Uh, they're able to. They, they can relate culturally. They can relate in age. They can relate same kind of rank, you know. At, 
the battalion commander, battalion sergeant major is evil to everyone at that rank, right? <laughs> it's so true. Even first sergeants, just like this, like yeah, evil person. Yeah, exactly. Right. Like I'm, I'm too old to be able to solve this problem. So when we talk about those peer dynamics, right? Like that group is sh- should be the group we need to be working harder on, right? Yeah. Because they can also be, if they're not a part of the solution, they're a part of the problem, right? There is no like sort of in-between ground. No, there's not. And, and like, if, if I could, yeah, you know, I, like as you're talking about it, I sit here and I go, if I'm looking at any other problem, yeah, if I'm looking at bad PT standards, if I'm looking at horrible maintenance, if I'm yeah. looking at any other issue, who are the doers that I sit there and I think I've got to get yeah. these people bought in. I've got to get like, these are the ones that are going to change change of this it's yeah it's team leaders and it's the e4 mafia that's it dude that's it 100 you know? we've got to get to them um well and and i think and i think the a key thing that often gets lost you know and i even think about this outside in the business world sometimes as a leader you think hey well i've got them from this time to this time and yeah. when they're off you know i don't i don't i don't got them wrong because you have E4s that are sitting there going to the same bars, to the same clubs, going to yeah. the, they're spending off-duty time with these folks and they are capable of getting into those peer groups and saying, nope, I'm not going to let that happen Yeah, um, with, within that group of people. Yeah. So, I mean, and so it, it all comes full, full circle, right, dude, to what we were talking about. Because who are the majority of that, of that group? Young, immature men. Right. And so when I talk about like, hey, hey, dude, be better. How do we help these young men become men of character? Right. Yeah. And men who who demonstrate real, you know, healthy adult behaviors and traits. So the other half of this coin, the other side of this coin, right, Joe, that I was alluding to earlier with the upperclassmen discussion is, is we have to model. So us old guys, we have to model that behavior. They need to be able to look up and see something that they will then emulate. Yeah. And that's why I asked, because I think for so long, our senior, you know, our more senior leaders haven't been that we haven't been modeling or emulating positive behavior. Right. A lot of times, you know, I think about this uh, scenario, um, you know, several years ago, and I, I talked about it in a Twitter thread where, you know, a general officer walked into a talk uh, and it was all men at the time. Right. There weren't any women in there. Literally, like just 10 years ago, there's like pictures of like bikini models hanging on the wall of the talk when he walks in. You may as well just take the pages of Maximum and paint them on the walls. Yeah, there you go. And what do you think his reaction to that was? Do you think he stepped in and said, "Hey guys, I don't think this is I don't think this is appropriate." No, he he walked up to it, looked at it, and gave it a good chuckle. Right, and was like, "Wow, nice." So what what types of behaviors is that reinforcing? Right, and that's why I that's why I'm so hard on this. Is it? I you know I'm not a senior leader by any means, but I'm you know I'm getting there. Right, I'm I'm kind of I'm in between at least, and that's why I'm so vocal on Twitter. Right, that's why I'm so outspoken because. I don't think there's any doubt, hopefully, with my soldiers where I stand. Yeah. If they have any questions, like, hey, just go read my Twitter feed and you'll figure it out pretty quick. Yeah. But and so those two things have to converge to solve this problem. And that's why that's why I'm going, you know, if, as we overhaul our SHARP program, we look at like, hey, how do we really prevent sexual assault? For me, it has nothing to do with bystander intervention. It has nothing to do with, yeah, it does, right? Like those are all parts of the same problem, right? And those are tools what we look at when we talk about preventing sexual assaults, we look at the the easy things on the right side of the spectrum, right? We look at, and, and I talk a lot about consent too. Like we could do a whole podcast just on consent. It's true. And what that means, right? And it, But that all ties back to sex education and things like that, right? And our young people don't understand these things. Why don't we can talk about that in a minute if you want. 
But I, I'm like, hey, if you really want to get after this, I hate using like combat analogies, right? Because like, you know, sexual assault is a, is a human endeavor, right? These are people. It's like, no, these are human beings. Let's talk about what it means to be better human beings. But it's like, hey, let's focus on how we build men of better character, right? Who, one, won't do these things themselves and two, won't allow their teammates to do these things. Like, let's do that, right? Like, that way we never have to worry about a bystander intervention. We never have to worry about a response to a sexual assault. Yeah. Um, And I just get these strange looks that are like, you know, we're never going to stop this, right? That's like the number one response I get. It's like, we're we're never going to completely stop this dude. Like, I don't know why you put so much effort into this. I've, I've had people tell me that, men, right? So let me, let me ask you this, dude. Like, this is another interesting thought experiment that I do. I like to ask my men, right? Like, hey, uh, so hey, hey, Joey, like, could you ever see yourself raping someone? Well, first, let me just answer directly. Absolutely not. Right. Uh, okay. Which, you know, let's just, like, you know, let me put you at the end of the barrel of the gun, um, <laughs> which I think is a pretty effective tool. Yeah. First and uh, foremost. But every, every room full of men I've ever asked that question to, what do you think the resounding answer is? Absolutely not. I'm sure. Yeah. So then why do we keep, why do, why do we keep raping each other then? Yeah. And so when I peel that back though, I would ask you why, why, okay. Why do you, why do you, why do you say no? I mean, that's here. Yeah. Wow. You, I mean, you're really doing it to me. I'm, <laughs> uh, well, um, it's going to be sporty, bro. I, I say no because it's never really a thought that's crossed my mind to, uh, to violate another human's space like that. Uh, and okay. But why? You're kind of you're kind of like my three year old right now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to so not to put words in your mouth, but I'll give you. It's because you have a value system and you have morals and you have you have respect for your fellow human beings, right? I would imagine. Yeah, those are sort of the same answers I would give you if you asked me that same question. Right. It's like because I respect women, I guess. Right. To the point where even when I'm intoxicated, I don't sort of have that urge to 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 violate their boundaries. Right. And so, so, so I use that, right? And I'm, I'm, dude, I'm sorry I put you on the spot there, right? But this is the thought no, you're good. I've been no, through because I use that. I think that's effective. Because here's my problem: when we start talking about sexual assault, and we start talking, everybody goes immediately to this pre- this idea of a predator, right? The serial predator who is you're never going to catch him, and they're just so good, right? And they, you know, and they were like, you're never going to stop this. You're never going to stop someone who wants to do that, right? I'm like, well, dude, right. you can describe to me very clearly why you would never do that. So you already know the answer to the test. So these soldiers that you're leading, the answer to the test is instill those same values into them, right? And then you like kind of get the wheels turned. It's like, okay, well, how do you do that? Well, one, model the behavior. Yeah. Like that's number one, how do you develop character? Like you you model behavior of people with character that you kind of want to be like, right? So it's like, number one, model the behavior. Number two, demonstrate through direct leadership that those things are unacceptable, right? And then number three, a lot of it to me is about education, right? Like, let's talk about consent. Let's talk about um, healthy intimacy. Let's talk about all these things that our young men don't know about. Um, yeah. I get really frustrated. I hear a lot of people when they teach consent, they don't want to talk directly, right? Like I, I had a, a Sark um, who I was watching teach consent, you know, a while back. He was like, yeah, you know, it's like, you know, when you're about to like do your thing and, um, you know, like, you know what I'm saying, guys, right? And I'm like, stop. Like, they don't know what you're saying. Like, some of these yeah. young Same. men have never had sex before, right? They've never been in an intimate encounter. Like, yeah. And everyone these, who's ever described sex to them has been in very vague terms exactly like yeah. you're doing. And I'm like, dude, I'm, I'm not asking to, like, engage in, like, write softcore pornography with me here or anything, but let's talk directly with our young men about what this means, right? 
So anyway, man, I, I know this is sort of a long soliloquy, but those are the kinds of things that I talk about with my men because it's like you've got to you got to figure out how to get there in your mind because no no one can really sort of imagine themselves in that situation until they're in that situation. I think right, and you always yeah. get that same answer. Well, absolutely not. Everybody gets really defensive. I would never assault someone. You know, it's like okay, well, why? And you really got to kind of start to tease that out. I think this seems like a good spot for a break. One thing about being in the military is that a lot of choices are either made or made easy for you. Not sure what to wear today? You're covered. Are you deployed to a remote place and don't know what to eat? What luck? It's MRE Roulette. Can't figure out when to take vacation? Not to worry. Sometimes, though, you need every option you can find. Like when you need to make a unit video and Thunderstruck for the thousandth time just won't do. Or you're trying to line up some badass gear for your unit. Well, that's what Emblem Athletic can provide for you with unlimited colors, sizes, styles, and design options. You want a Technicolored skull with cross-machine guns on a maroon XXL hoodie? You got it. Just make your way to EmblemAthletic.com and take a style quiz to get started. In less than two minutes, you'll be on your way to wearing a Velociraptor on a Bradley, flying Old Glory with inexplicable eagle wings on the back of an electric blue tank top. And will those hypernatural design colors fade? Hell no. They're dyed right into the fabric. Put the Emblem design team to work on making unit gear that is uniquely, undeniably, unfailingly yours. Now back to the interview. Yeah, and there's a couple different directions you can go with this, but kind of want to stay on the path that you're on. I think you've got some people that are that maybe they don't have. I don't like. I don't know what the best way to describe it. I'm not going to say that you know every person that ends up committing assault is just like this. Yeah. You know they may be just like an okay person on the outside, right? Like they yeah. they were put in a position where they made a decision that violated another person and their security and, and then is going easily going to devastate that person yeah. for a long time, if not for the rest of their life. Yeah, right? yeah. But that person made a decision at some point. Yeah. That that's what they were going to do. Yeah. So I don't think you can sit there and identify. Like You're never going to have like a pre-crime division, right? You know, yeah. that's going to sit there yeah. and say, well, yeah, it's going to be this person, right? Yeah. Oh, I wish I did. Um, oh, man. Yeah. But what you can have is exactly what you described and, and say, well, I may not be able to, I can't be there in that moment, right? And that, I think that's where people feel like, you know, like what you described before. Well, you can't stop it every time. You know, somebody's going to do it. You know, like, yeah. no, no, that's not. It's human nature, bro. Like that's, that's, that's not the way this works. Like what I can do is I can stack up this culture and I can make sure that this person knows it's not just them in that room in that moment. It's everybody around them in there, in that room, in that moment. Yeah. No, you're really onto something there. Yeah. It's all the people that they spend all of their day with. Yeah. Because, you know, I, I imagine if you, I don't know what the stats look like and maybe you can inform me of this, of what sexual assaults look like as far as proximity of the victim and the, and the perpetrator? It, overwhelmingly, people that they know live and work together, know, live, train, and work together. Overwhelming. Precisely. Yeah. Yep. These aren't random strangers jumping out of the bushes and, and you know, the Hollywood depiction, right? Yeah. And attacking yeah. the jogger. Yeah. Yeah. And, I mean, which, which is a problem, absolutely. For sure. When you talk about you know the way women don't feel secure, oh, hundred percent. I'm not trying to not just the military, that. yeah, but statistically, you're you're hundred percent. I think it's like upwards of eighty percent are close proximity in rank, close proximity in age, work together, train together, live together. These are people who know each other. Yeah, and so I, I think I think you turn it around and you talk about the thing, the exact thing that you're talking about. Yeah. How do you build a culture where 
everyone around that person is in that room with them in that moment and saying yeah. in, in their in their mind telling them yeah this is what you're doing to your team yeah so dude i may be too tainted by covid right but um so i talk about this as creating antibodies or how do you create herd immunity when it comes to when it comes to cultural right and, and so here's here's the thing like think about it like this dude i think about this too sometimes and Hey, last, the last two years have been sort of off the chains and sort of racial tension and racial issues. So I, this may not be the best example, but I feel like I really do. And listen, I'm a white dude, so I'm saying this from a position. We're both white right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, but I feel like generally on the teams that I've been on, at least, it's not cool to be a racist, right? Yeah. Like I've seen literally like someone make a racist comment before and like three, you know, three white dudes jump on them, Right. And either crush it or, um, or like in some time, something like one time I saw like a guy get the shit beat out of him, right? For making a racist comment to, to somebody. Yeah. But it's generally not cool to be racist, right? I know there are pockets of extremism, things like that. And we're, we're, we're certainly addressing that. And it's, there's a lot of weird dynamics now, but it's, you but it's not the same when it comes to sexism, right? Or it's not the same when it comes to sort of sexist jokes and remarks. And so I think about that. It's like, okay, but hey, you sort of create the same culture. It goes from being openly cool to do those kinds of things to like, now you're the outlier if you do it. Right. And that all sort of drives that sort of cultural change you're talking about. Yeah. And I think that's one of the cooler things about what you do on particularly Twitter. Yeah. Is you bring a lot of that out in threads. Yeah. And you do it in a way that empowers conversation. Cause yeah. I like, I, uh, the last episode I did was on uh, the COVID vaccination and I, yeah. I've never seen anything more polarizing <laughs> that I think I've ever like been involved in personally. Yeah. But you, and it's not to say that there aren't like some negative, you know, things that come into those, but the constructive conversation that happens as a result yeah. of your discussion is one of the most encouraging things I've ever seen on social media, media period. Yeah. Well, here's the thing, man. And I, I, I've learned this, right? This is not an issue for women to solve. This is an issue right. for men to solve. This is, this is our problem. This is your, mine and your problem, right? Women have talked about this long enough. But here's sort of the unique position I sit in. Is I, now I sit in this position of authority, right? Like I'm, I'm a freaking combined arms battalion commander of the greatest combined arms battalion on the planet. I have an awesome team who will go anywhere in the world and kill the enemies of our nation if asked to do so, right? I have spent years of my life in ground combat fighting and killing the enemies of our nation, right? So all of these sort of arguments as to like, well, you're just saying it because you're a woman or, well, you're a pog or, well, you know, this or that or whatever. Those, those don't stick to me. And, and so I'm, I think I'm able to sort of have some of these conversations because of who I am and my experiences and where I come from. And then, and then sort of, you sort of intersect that with like why I'm sort of passionate about this. Right. And the problem is a lot of the bullshit arguments that you normally hear, they just kind of bounce right off of me because it's like, Oh, you're just saying that because you're like a feminist, you know, who wants to see, you know, you're trying to feminize the army. No, I, I know what it takes to fight and win in combat, dude. Like I know because I've been there. And so I know that building better teams that are inclusive of everyone who's allowed to be on the team can only serve to make us better. And it's like, right. okay, next, next question, bro. And it sort of, it sort of sheds away a lot of the bullshit, like, especially like with women are trying to have these arguments. Right. And I don't know, man, I, I'm with you. I mean, it's humbling, right? Like I'm nobody. I'm just, I'm just some dude who's trying to make, leave the army better than I found it. But I think uh, I have to respect that sort of position of power and authority that I'm in. And then how can I use that platform to sort of, 
keep this momentum going, you know? Yeah. I think one of the key parts of what you do, because I've got lots of peers that are still in, you know, I, I, yeah. I chose to get out, but I, I still like, you know, listen, it was a part of my life. I'm still going to keep track of it. You can, you know, yeah. I'm a has been, but I still like to look over the fence every once in a while. I look at what you do and I appreciate it for the fact that I also see other people who, you know, saw the results of the Fort Hood report. They have things that they want to change and you know, they have remarks and complaints and, and you know about the SHARP program. Yeah. But the difference is I think I see one side that says, Oh, I, I don't I don't know what to do. I've got to wait for guidance, right? That's yeah. that's yeah. kind of like the you know, <laughs> I, I think that I think there's kind of an institutionalization that yeah. gets Hey, if I don't know what to do, I got to wait for guidance. Waiting on the word, um, right? Yeah, yeah. What are you guys doing back yeah. here? Waiting on the word, first sergeant. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I think there's something amazing about what you do, and I know you're going to sit there and deflect this because that's the kind of person you are. Yeah, is is saying no, no, no. We we've got something that needs to be fixed, and and yeah, I may not have the answers, but I'm going to try and find out what the answers are without somebody telling me you need to go find the answer. Yeah, I mean. Dude, it's exactly it. And that's what I tell my peers, right? Um, and I'm not trying to be some like spotlight ranger or anything, right? Because a lot of my peers, you're exactly right. They're just sort of in this holding pattern. I, I truly believe in my heart of heart that we are selecting better people for battalion command now. And part of that's the BCAP process and talent management and stuff, right? Um, I mean, yeah, certainly I've only heard good things about it. Certainly a fluke of how I, how I squeaked through, right? But but they really are, right? I believe that a lot of them want to do the right thing. And, but So, you know, so I threw myself into this. In terms of study and learning, what you know, what I really do, and so when I look at that Fort Hood report, I focus on the things that I can control. Yeah, hey, I'm not going to improve CID, right? I'm not going to improve the investigative process. I'm not going to make you know UCMJ move faster. Like that's not my fight. That's someone else's fight, right? But I don't need the chief of staff of the army or the sergeant major of the army to tell me how to improve my unit climate to be more inclusive of everyone who's allowed to be there, like. Right. Like, I, I don't need like so no one's going to bring the tablet down from the, you know, like Moses bringing the tablet down and it's going to give me the answer. Right. Like I have the freaking answer. We just need to execute it. Right. And we have to get buy in and we have to look at how you actually do that, because the problem is these things sound easy when we like bleed them off and we tweet them on Twitter. Right. It's like, oh, clearly the answer is just treat everyone with dignity and respect. Right. Like, OK, um, I'm going to have a battalion formation. I'm going to stand out in front of my troops. And I'm going to say, I hereby order you to treat everyone with dignity and respect. Uh, what are your questions? I've now solved all of our sexual harassment, sexual assault problems. Thank you. Have a good day. Right? Like, that's not how it works, right? There's hard work to be had here. And and it's met with skepticism, frankly, right? Like either passive skepticism or active resistance. You got to find those active resistors and you got to see if you can sort of deprogram or reprogram them or, or just help them go find something else to do with their lives. And you got to, and then you got to pull the passive resistance over to your side, right? And you got to convince them. You got to you got to convince people sometimes of why these things are real. And it's hard work, man. It's hard, dirty work. You're talking about getting inside the individual psychology of every single person on your team and convincing them to change their behaviors. And that's that's hard shit to do. It doesn't happen in a policy letter. It doesn't happen through some proclamation. It doesn't happen on a poster you put on the wall. It happens through freaking leadership. And digging in the trenches and trying to find unique solutions to unique problems, right? And, you know, to your point, it's like, I don't need somebody to wait to tell me to do that. And so that's sort of why I've thrown a lot of effort and energy into this. Yeah. You know, it's kind of funny. Uh, What you said is not funny at all. It's actually the absolute truth. But the funny thing is, is while you're talking about that, I had had these images of like, (laughs) I hesitate to even mention this, but... 
Sling it. I think about like counterinsurgency. Oh, oh God. Yeah, I know. I hate using this analogy, but it, it's so good, right? Well, it's the ultimate <laughs> to me in war fighting. Yeah. Because people shy away from it because they can't wrap their minds around it. Yeah. It's, it's one of the most complex problems to answer. And that's why it, it's never going away. And, yeah. and people, you know, but it, it is the literally the most complex form of warfare. And when you think about the spectrum of warfare, yeah, uh, it, it sits somewhere in the middle in this gray area. And people hate it for that reason, because it's, it's nuanced. Yeah, super, right? But this situation is nuanced and it scares people. They are willing to let a whole entire group of people live less than normal lives to not get out of their comfort zones. Yeah, 100%. Um, Or worse, we're willing to let them sort of sit back and see themselves as, you know, better human beings or more more important human beings than another type of human being, right? Like, yeah. Well, that person's transgender. They're less of a person than I am. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Even though they're allowed to be here by policy and they meet the standards. Hey, but take, so take that, take the coin thing in a step further. Like I said, I, I, I shy away from analogies when it comes to sexual assault because we should just talk about it directly, but it's, no, it's helpful. I think, I think yeah. for some that you haven't seen the light go on yet. Think about an IED. You've, you've met a few IEDs, I'm sure. Handful. Yeah. 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 Um, <laughs> More than I'd like to, yeah, you're right. So if you think about an IED going off, um, one, after you have so many IEDs go off, it sort of almost feels like this natural phenomenon that's just happening, right? And that there's not a human being behind it. Yeah. Then we think about, okay, how do you stop IEDs from going in? So, you know, if you equate an IED to a sexual assault, like once the IED goes off, you are responding to the IED, right? Yeah. You're caring for the casualties. You are evacuating. You're maybe trying to find out who did it. Um, but you're, you're in total response mode then, right? Like it is too yeah. late. Yeah. You haven't like saved anybody's life yeah. or saved anybody's limbs at, yeah. after the fact. Okay. So come left of that like one step. And how do you stop an IED? All right. Well, you can shoot the, you can shoot the person putting it in, right? That's a pretty good way to stop an IED attack. I equate that to like bystander intervention, right? When it comes to a sexual assault. Um, which we which we like super focus on, right? Is like this great thing, and it is, and it should be a part of our prevent overall prevention strategy. I have a theory, like everybody likes a hero, right? So everybody wants to like see themselves as this intervener. Okay, well, like, is that the best way to stop IEDs from going in? Is to shoot the person putting it in? No, it's not. Yeah, so like, come left of that. Like, what did what did we learn? Like, how do you stop IEDs from going in? You give job and give a job to the kid who's getting paid to put it in. Yeah. Right. Or you come left of that or and like eventually you come super left of that and you have like make healthy relations with everyone in the world. Right. And, you know, yeah. I, I'm not, don't we won't go down the like instill democracy around the world rabbit hole or anything like that. Um, no, yeah. But you, you turn your enemies into not your enemies anymore. Right. Right. And that's sort of how I view this. Right. It's like, hey, let's not focus on like hey, CCTV cameras in our barracks are great. One, because they help provide me evidence when there is a sexual assault um, that that hopefully we can prosecute, right? But hey, how do we help build men of character who aren't going to rape their teammates, right? Like that's sort of the analogy, but it's hard It's hard work, right? Like, hey, you attack the network and the IED was hard stuff to do. The complicated yeah. shit's on the left end of the spectrum, not on the right end of the spectrum. And that's why we, I think that's why we tend to shy away from it, right? Because it becomes abstract. Yeah, I completely agree. And kind of going with that theme of complexity, and, and that's why I wanted to draw the reference to, you know, to coin, yeah. you know, it, 
complexity makes people nervous and it makes people not want to put in the hundred percent. And when I think about the work that is ahead of, it's not, it's not me, it's, it's you, it's, it's all your captains, lieutenants yeah. and NCOs and junior soldiers that have years ahead in the army. Yeah. That is, it's, it's the hard work that they're going to have to do. One thing that this has really helped me with having a much better understanding of empathy. Yeah. Whereas before I was just like, oh, well, I've got empathy. I can kind of like put myself in like somebody's like, no, like actually like listen to the stories and try to yeah. understand what it may feel like, feel like to be in this position. Yeah. And I, I go, how must it feel to be a woman in the army at this moment? And how yeah. does it feel to go to work and maybe be standing next to a person that could be your assaulter one day Yeah, and, and, and just not know that, right? right? Like not have the confidence that you like, that you can say, no, it's definitely not them. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Are they wearing a t-shirt saying I'm a rapist, you know? And yeah, nobody's wearing that. Yeah. I just read some fascinating stuff on that earlier. Like there's a, there's a not all men movement, hashtag not all men movement going on right now. Right. Which is like basically the equivalent of not all cops are bad, you know? And, and that's a fallacy, right? And for exactly what you just described, because the problem is women can't look around them and identify which men are bad and which ones aren't. They have to be suspect of all of them. Right. And there was a great tweet I read earlier and, 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 a, and, a, and a lady was like, Hey, I tell you what, I'll throw you in a, in a pit with uh, a mix of uh, poisonous and or venomous and non-venomous snakes. And then, you know, hashtag not all snakes. And it's like, no, yeah, it's perfect. <laughs> and so as you're hundred percent right, dude. And the key to rewind to like really a year or two ago when I really, I had my aha moments. Right. And I was like, holy shit, I've just been getting this wrong my whole life. It started by listening. And as I was preparing for command, I was like, you know what? I don't understand these issues. I don't understand these perspectives. And so I used Twitter, right? Which I know everybody's like, oh, Twitter's evil, whatever. Um, to reach out to a few, to a handful of women who are, you know, pretty vocal. And I, you know, I took, I, it took a chance, right? And I was like, hey, I, I know you don't owe me your stories and I know you don't owe me your words, but would you be willing to just I, let me listen to your experiences? And that's sort of how that article was born, right? Athena Thriving that we, that we wrote. I mean, it's just overwhelmed by their stories. Like, holy shit. Talk about that for a second. That's what I wanted to to kind of lead you into because I was thinking about, you know, the empathy part. Yeah. I just can't imagine being a woman in this time and God before, but even now watching all this stuff happen, being like, well, they didn't get this shit before. Now what, you know, what makes me think they're going to get it now? Yeah. Sitting in this moment and just hoping and praying that it changes. Yeah. You took that, you know, you listened, you came out with this great article, Athena Thriving, that talks about what are some things that we can do just by listening? Yeah. Can you just talk about that experience? Yeah, for sure. I mean, so it was sort of born out of this group of male, most, you know, male soon to be battalion commanders. And I kind of rallied them and I was like, hey, who would be interested? You know, Tony Newman, Ian Fleischman, um, Trey Guy. I said, hey, who would be interested in just sort of listening to um, some of these women tell their stories, right? And I kind of had this, I scheduled this like Zoom call, right? And I scheduled for like an hour and I went for almost four hours, the first one. And it was pretty raw. But I think the key was the men just kept their mouths shut and sort of listened. And we talked about everything. We talked about microaggressions and what it's like being a woman and being sort of surrounded by those things swirling around you every day that you and I don't, we don't pick up on half of them, right? And we probably do the other half of them. Right. We talked about what it's like to, you know, be a woman, um, sort of exactly what we just talked about. And 
you know, there's this interest, another interesting exercise I do. I don't want to go off on another tangent, but like, Hey, I would ask you as a man, right. I know you're married, but like, Hey, what, what do you do to, what would you do to prepare for a date with someone you don't know as a man? You just answer that briefly. If you, if you don't care to. Oh yeah. I mean, I totally can. I, I, would, I would make sure I had a shower that was dressed in a way that was presentable, you know, t-shirt and jeans. Yeah. And then, uh, you'd go on your date. Yeah. 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 And you would have like the only anxiety you would have is like being the, the normal anxiety of like, like wanting to impress, you know, the, the, the opposite gender or whatever. Right. Yeah. She may never talk, talk to me after this, but yeah, know. exactly. <laughs> when you ask a woman like, Hey, what do you do to prepare for a date with someone you don't know? Like ask, ask women, you know, that question and it will blow your freaking ears back, dude, because that's the world they live in. Right. For a yeah. lot of women. From everything from like, hey, I'm dropping pins to friends of mine. I'm sending my five point contingency plan. I'm making sure that I have mace. I'm making sure that where we're meeting is a public space, and I'm making sure that you know what I'm what I'm wearing doesn't sort of come off to give the wrong signals. And I'm telling you, it's like a freaking full up division op order um, that, that go through the mind of some women, right? Whereas you and me, I'm like, yeah. bro, I take a shower. Uh, maybe I put on a clean shirt and like I go on my date. You know? Yeah. And so just things like that, right? And I, I digress there a little bit, but we talked about like, hey, things like that. And we talked about different experiences of women. You know, one of the young women who's a, you know, young armor officers that I mentor now, um, she actually, she mentors me a hell of a lot more than I mentor her. But she talked about, you know, being a cadet in ROTC and they went to the field and their cadre like made the women carry around their used tampons in a, in a Ziploc bag in their cargo pocket because they didn't know like how to dispose of them. It's mind right? blowing. Dude, that is mind like, blowing. Seriously, um, just things like that, and it's like, what signal does that send to to people on your team? I'll tell you what it sends. It tells them like, hey, you're different, you're other, you don't belong here. And so we we did like two or three more of those sessions, and I said, hey, let's we should write an article. Like we should just put a pen to paper and do this. And that's sort of how the article was born. And I think it, you know, it, I think it turned out well. We're working on the second one right now. Yeah, yeah. I was going to ask you about that. So please go ahead. Quick plug, you know, so I mean, we talked briefly in the article about pregnancy and, and, you know, what it's like to be a pregnant and postpartum soldier in the army, right? I have no idea how I've become like a part of some of these groups, right? One, I'm just an advocate, right? And I'm a male combat arms leader who's like trying to make effective change. But I'm part of like all these like mother and parenting groups, worked on policy recommendations, five pretty significant policy recommendations to help pregnant and postpartum women in the army. And so I was like, hey, we should we should do a follow up on this on all things pregnant and postpartum. Right. Like, hey, how can you help breastfeeding soldiers like better accommodate them? Right. And you just get the trolls, man. Like you just get, oh, my God, they just come out of the woodwork. Right. And it's like we shouldn't be worried about breastfeeding. The Chinese are going to rip our freaking hearts out. <laughs> like you've seen it. Right. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's ridiculous. <laughs> and it's like, like oh, yeah, you fought a lot of Chinese soldiers. Hey, no? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. Were you? <laughs> um, Oh my God. Yeah. It's like, what signal does that send if you as a leader don't give a shit enough about some of the people on your team to take the time to learn how to like, these are women who are like not only crushing their jobs, but like trying to grow their families and literally grow a human being inside of their body. Trust me, they're more badass than you and I. Yeah. 100%. It's like, hey, how do we take care of them? How do we be better leaders to, to these women and to their families, right? Like, like you said, lead with empathy. And so that's sort of what this one's all about. It's consolidating all of the regulations, all of the policies, all of the TTPs and best practices, and just kind of jamming them all into one power bar of information. Um, and then we're going to splash that out, right? And, and hopefully, you know, it helps some people, hopefully it helps some leaders. But it's just, I, I, it's going to be a fun one because I'm sure we're going to get lots of, you know, trolls on it. But I just don't care. 
Well, I mean, at this point, you know, a lot of the trolls are people who aren't out there making decisions anymore. They more relevant. Yeah. Well, I mean, they have this very narrow view yeah. of of the military, of the armed forces that they experience that frankly isn't relevant anymore. Yeah. And they they live in this glory day of I fall victim of that. You know, I think yeah. about my experience and I'm like, well, I had this one view because that's the that's the time period I was in. And that's great. You know, I, I've got that, but it's not as relevant as it probably, you know. Yeah. yeah it's, it's not the not future. As relevant now. Yeah. Right. It's not the way we're, it's on. the You're on the wrong side of history if those are your views, because yeah. the future is a more inclusive force. Right. I mean, you you look at the numbers, Joey, right? Like the arm. So American society is 51 percent women, 49 percent men. Right. Yeah. The army's 85 percent men, 15 percent women. Hey, are we ever going to be 51% women, 49% men? Yeah, I don't know, right? Hey, the, the army may not be a thing that appeals to a lot of women. I don't know. But it should like be the goal, right? And yeah. I don't have like racial demographics or anything like that, right? Like, hey, how, many, how much of America is African-American, Hispanic, Caucasian, whatever, versus the army? But like, whatever that number is, that should be the target. Because we should, we should aim to have an army that's, that represents our American society, Right. Because it that, that will make us a more representative, more inclusive force. Yeah. The people immediately equate that to us being a less effective force, right? And it's like, hey, tell me how having more black women in combat arms will make us a less effective force. You know, tell me how, how having more um, transgender soldiers will make us a less effective force. The problem is they can't answer that with any sort of logic. No. You know? And it's, and it's all with, you know, these what about isms and yeah. what if isms of like, yeah. well, you know, if there's a woman, you know, and she's in there with a bunch of guys, you yeah. know, they're all going to like, want to like, you know, have sex with her. Like, okay. You've never been in the situation. So you just have no frame of reference to know what yeah. you're talking about. Yeah. Or my, my personal favorite's like, well, she, clearly she can't drag a 300 pound body and kit 300 meters under fire. Because of yeah. her, her inadequate pelvis or whatever, you know what I mean? Like whatever yeah. freaking argument of the week we want you made to a use. perfect, yeah, you made a perfect <laughs> argument against that. Yeah, did you see me get dragged for it? Yeah, I, I did, but I, I thought it was perfectly relevant. Like I probably at least a third, if not a half, of the guys in my airborne infantry unit that couldn't do that alone. Period. Right. How many of them get called out for it, right? Like, you know what I'm saying? But immediately when it comes to our teammates who are women, it's the first thing we fixate on, right? Yeah. Undoubtedly full of piss and vinegar, but I have, imagine I have a hard time dragging something yeah. like that. Yeah, dude. Uh, like, I, here's, you know, I have these fascinating discussions with some of my men. Why does it take these wonder women, right, to, to make us believe, like they have to prove so far above and beyond what you and I have to do? Like, you know what I, you and I have to do to, when we show up to a unit? Like, Show up, meet minimum standard, have a penis. Like we're good. Check the block, right? Yeah. You know, I'll say that flippantly. But uh, but if you're a woman, you gotta show up and you gotta prove yourself, right? But it took this superhuman woman to sort of to make you believe, right? Yeah. That's actually part of a discussion that I had multiple times over the course of my time in the army. Like I, I was very fortunate to watch, you know, something like that when I was a cadet. Yeah. Just Tomazic, we were doing the infantry defense field problem, but she was a complete badass. Yeah. I, I saw her do, do that, and w whatever preconceived notions I had was like, oh, a woman can do what the what guys do in the infantry. Like, yeah. at that moment, well, I was just completely wrong. She just made every guy in here go, wow, that's the kind of person I would want to be. Yeah. 
by just by what she did. And, you know, frankly, it took that moment, you know, for me and, and, yeah. and I was wrong for having that preconceived notion, but yeah, you know, but fast forward, having those conversations later in later years, yeah. you know, towards the end of my time in the army, I thought back to that and I said, we already know they can do it. We already know there's, there's women that can absolutely do this. Yeah. And, and everybody in the room was like, yeah, we are, we do. Well, yeah, we, we know yeah. that. Yeah. But how do we make sure that it was crazy. We weren't in like, we weren't on Twitter or anything back then. Yeah. How do we make sure that these idiots out here, they're going to go, you know, well, you know, they get exceptions and blah, blah, blah. How do we make sure that we stack yeah. it in such a way that nobody can argue against the standards being met? Yeah, dude. Full circle. Yeah. It's helping men become better men, men of character who be better dudes. Be better right? dudes. But it, but a lot of it's education, right, man? You can't, like, I don't, like, I'm just going to slap you in the head and, like, you're going to be a better dude, right? Like, after, you have to help them see that light, um, and it's a journey. But but that's our responsibility as men. That's not the responsibility of the women, no, right, to, no. to force them through that journey. So here's something interesting, man. When I talk to the women in my on my team, um, in my unit, and, you know, one of the first conversations, you know, one of the first things I was like, hey, do you feel safe here, right? Like, Obviously, I want to know, like, is there, you know, do we have a problem with sexual harassment, sexual assault, those things? You know, I'm, yeah. I'm proud to sort of report that that's not the feedback I get. But I, when I talk to them, it's like, hey, how can we build a better team that, you know, you feel fully inclusive? Um, you don't feel isolated. Like you feel like you, you belong and everything. The to a woman, every single one of them talk to me about team building events. They're like, sir, we need to do more team building events. And I'm like, yeah. and like, I was perplexed, right? And I'm like, you're talking like obstacle courses and shit like that. And they're like, Yes, sir. And I'm like, let me like help me unpack that a little bit, right? So I thought they were going to say like more command messaging or more sharp training or something like that, you know, team building. And they're like, we need the chance to prove that we can do everything that they can do and that we belong on the team. Yeah. I'm like, wow. Okay. In some ways, kind of cool, but in some ways, like you shouldn't, you should not have to do that, right? And so I'm really taken back by that. Well, and so in one way, I kind of feel like we hit this point, like in Step Brothers, where like we both said <laughs> John Stamos. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking exactly what you were saying. Yeah, uh, you know, I was thinking about well, how do, how do you take that moment that I had? Yeah, back when and foster the situation where you can allow that to happen. Yeah, and it's team building, is training, team building events, giving women opportunities that have been withheld for so so long. Yeah, yeah. I, I do think there might be at times maybe too much him and hawing about, oh, you know, how do we make sure? No, just yeah. just do it, make it happen, and then give people, not just women, give people opportunities to succeed. Yeah, and and let them flourish in those opportunities, yeah. and 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 not just grow themselves, but grow other people and expose them to their capability and their excellence. So, dude, that is so 100%. That's how we sort of came to the title of Athena Thriving, right? And I talk about this a lot too. So, Athena Rising is a great book. We sort of riffed off that. Um, we haven't been yeah. sued for copyright infringement yet, knock on wood. Yeah. <laughs> but if, hey, if Athena Rising is sort of this, like, it's sort of like, hey, how do you help women just get to the starting blocks? Yeah. Okay. Well, getting, getting to the starting blocks is step one, but thriving, right? What does it mean to thrive in your profession? Yeah. Grow where you're planted, right? That's sort of why we, we riffed off that that way, right? Because this is all about like, hey, how do we take it the next step further and help women thrive? At not the cost of men thriving, right? Like that's that's my whole point in this, right? Like it literally costs men nothing 
to help their women teammates thrive, Absolutely right? Not. It's not like I thrive, yeah. like my, my boat sinks when her floats higher. Like that's not how it works, right? So the, so the really sort of fascinating piece of this though, so, you know, I have, I have, com- I have interesting conversations with some of my leaders too, right? Like I actually had one of my, um, you know, one of my uh, leaders, combat arms leader kind of come to me in the side and was like, Hey, I really want to get this right. Like as we start receiving women in combat arms, he's like, I'm going to get this right. He's like, do I help the women more than I help the men though? Like, do I give them extra help? And I'm like, no, if you have a man that's struggling in your platoon, are you going to help him with like extra PT, extra training, whatever? in a constructive way. And he's like, well, yeah, absolutely. I want to see all my soldiers succeed. I'm like, okay, well just do that. And so I think a lot of people see like, oh, we're going to give women an unfair advantage. We're going to, we're going to bend the standards for them. It's like, no, we're going to, we should help them. Like we help all of our soldiers. Now I think you can root for an, I like an underdog, right? So I think you can root for an underdog. Yeah. I think there's some value to still like as women break through barriers, like it's okay to, to give them a high five, right. And be like, Hey, that's awesome. You know, I'm getting ready to receive the first women combat armed soldiers in the history of the 64th armored regiment, which is one of the most storied regiments in the entire United States army. I think that's pretty cool. Right. Some people would be like, well, we just need to not talk about it. It's not a big, I know most women don't like, Hey, I don't want to make a big deal. That's whatever. So there's a fine balance. Right. But it's like, Hey, no, we should still celebrate celebrate glass ceilings. Yeah. Let's celebrate these accomplishments. Glass ceilings breaking is what I'm saying. Exactly. Um, and so, you know, but again, I think people just try to do too much mental gymnastics through this process, right? Yo, but I talk about this too. It's like, hey, policy is the first step. And so if you look at women in particular, right? I, and I don't have the other stats. I need to pull them like, hey, when were African-Americans allowed in the army? Or hey, when were, uh, you know, n- name any other group? Um, you know, we, you and I lived through Don't Ask, Don't Tell, which is, you know, in hindsight, feel guilty about, right? Yeah. Remember homosexuals allowed to openly serve in the army. But hey, women were allowed to serve in every unit team location starting in 2016, right? So we have, boom, policy. Policy says you can be here now if you meet the standards. Right. So like that solved the problem, right? Like we're done. Like, no, that's step one, right? Step two is like a lot, lot harder. And that's sort of what Athena Thriving and all these efforts sort of get to, if that makes sense. But I think there's a lot of, you know, particularly men that are out there like, oh, well, they're allowed to be here now. So like problem solved. It's like, no, dude, we still need to make an active effort as the majority groups, i.e. white men, the onus is on us to integrate minority groups. Right. It's not on them, right? It, like it's on us to build a more inclusive team. And I don't know, man. It's like some people just feel super threatened by that. And it's fascinating. Yeah. And I mean, this is a 60 year problem. Yeah. The military has been integrating. Yeah. For 60 plus years. Yeah. And it's not a new problem. But, you know, really, it comes down to very, very similar solutions. It comes first, yeah. like like you said, with policy. But culture is the key answer to making sure you have an effective fighting force that is focused on its duty to you know meet the standards and be an effective warfighter. Yeah. You know, and that's and that's not up to talking heads. That's not up to politicians. That's yeah. that's the, the military's job. Yeah, we talk a lot about strength and diversity, right? And like, yeah. people, people throw this term around too, very loosely. They're like, oh, our diversity makes us stronger. It can, but you have to you have to set conditions for that to happen, right? Yeah. Diversity makes us stronger by bringing varying people to look at the same problem, but with different approaches, right? So instead of right. a bunch of old white men looking at the problem from one angle, you have surrounded the problem 360 degrees with lots of different perspectives yeah. and ideas and thoughts. And approaches 
Um, but that doesn't happen automatically, right? As much as diversity can be our strength, it can be our downfall mm-hmm. if we don't enable it, right? And, and sort of that's where this, it's a tipping point, right? It could, we, t- we could tip it to be a huge advantage over any other military in the world, or we could tip it in the other direction you know, where we allow these things to sort of continue to corrode away at us to the point where we lose the trust and confidence of the American people um, as an all-volunteer force. And, you know, just to sort of pivot for a second, like, and I think a lot of this, just look at the current environment around us, right? Like, look how toxic and polarizing just America in the last few years has become. And like, what's the impact of that, right, dude? Like, you look at in, in, in social media and and false information and, you know, you, I know you talked about this a lot in your, uh, your vaccine podcast, but it's like, we're fighting against a lot of external forces now too, right? Absolutely. It kind of comes back full circle. You know, we were talking about yeah. you know, masculinity before I think about what you just said and kind of the standards that, so I, I run and I listen to audiobooks and podcasts yeah. um, mostly. And, and I've, I was actually listening to uh, The Hero's Journey. It's a Joseph Campbell. Oh yeah. It's really fascinating. But one of the constant things in myth is, is death and birth, rebirth, you know, death, so on and so forth. And I'll come back to that in a second, but this concept of masculinity and you kind of take the, once again, I don't want to put power to this one person's comments because he doesn't deserve it. Yeah. Yeah. Or really a lot of these people that try to put these constructs of masculinity and talking about alpha males and things like that. Yeah. Yeah. Which are completely false constructs. They don't exist except in these people's minds. Yeah. Because they're not relevant. It's just not reality. But you start talking about things like that. You start talking about this myth of Americanism, of masculinity that's unhealthy. Like we were just talking about earlier in the episode, we were talking about, about this inability for people to be able to express themselves and living in prisons of PTSD and depression for most of their lives. Yeah. Old veterans of older wars lived miserable lives because they have no capability to, to express themselves. Yeah. And you know, was that great? I don't think so. I, and I, and I think about the things that have happened in the last couple of years, really, because it was, it it definitely didn't happen like at the end of the 2010s, like really in the last few years, you've kind of opened up this culture of, listen, it's totally okay to get help. And you've actually had to, you've had senior leaders come out and say, yeah, no, we're, we're getting help. We, we, we want you, like, listen, I got help. You know, I yeah, want you to yeah. get help too. We're not going to, your career is not going to suffer because of it. And I, it's, it's scary to me watching from an outsider's perspective because I have friends that need help. I have yeah. soldiers that have, you've watched the same thing that I have. I've watched soldiers die year after year after year. Yeah. Not from, not from combat, but from taking their own lives because it's all related. This, yeah. This silly, stupid construct of, of what people have put in their mind of what this masculinity is. And it's all related. It is. And so, I mean, to circle back around the external forces of these narratives and what these people are building, it it was so incredible to go, you know, in the last couple of days to watch leaders being leaders and saying, these are my people. You don't mess with my people and and, and make them lesser. It was one of the first times in the last, like, I don't know, few years I said, that's pure and utter leadership. And, and people saying, I don't care what you call me, but you're not going to tell to talk about my people like that. Yeah. It's refreshing. It is. I, I try to pour gas on the fire, right? I'm a little catalyst out <laughs> there, you know, 
Yeah, man. It's so I, 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 you know, I've been thinking about tweeting about this, right? It's like, think about all the things that you probably missed out on. You know, I'm, I turned 40 this year, like God rest my soul. But it's like, how many things did I miss out on because of unhealthy masculinity? Like, yeah, I got my first massage like two or three years ago. And I was like, this is the most amazing thing ever. Like, I want, I want to get one of these once a month for the rest of my life. Right. Yeah. And no, I probably exactly. never get one because it's like, oh, it's not real manly, like get a massage, right? You're going to manicure or, uh, you know, or, hey, I'm going to cry after watching a movie that makes me emotional. Does that make me less manly? Like, no, dude, I'm still a friggin' steely eyed killer who can fight a tank anywhere in the world. Right. So, right. I don't know. I don't know if you have any like similar experiences. I think as we get older as men, you start to reconcile those things. Right. But it's that revisionist history you sort of talked about that I'm like, I'm really like, I'm trying to tell young men, I'm like, hey, man, you need to shed these unhealthy things. Like, Hey, it's okay to like talk about your feelings with your partner. It's not less manly. Like, hey, you don't have to like seal the deal when you take her on a date. Hey, you can maybe have a few dates before you have sex with her, you know, taking a full circle, right? No, and that's like, it's okay, dude. I don't know if you have any like sort of similar thoughts or experiences or things you sort of discovered later in life that because of unhealthy masculinity sort of kept you away from. And I'm not necessarily looking for like specific examples, right? But I think it's like, I want to be like, well, how can that be? You're a ranger. Like the Chinese are going to rip your heart out now, Joey. Yeah, well, yeah, no. Because you like to I, dance. <laughs> I, I'll be, I'll be perfectly honest. I, I didn't like the prospect of of going to war while having kids. Yeah, yeah. I never wanted to put my wife in a position where she had to explain to our children what yeah. happened, and it, that yeah. that was a choice that I made. You know, like, and and yeah, I shit. You want to like watch me just ball? Just completely <laughs> ball my eyes out. Just put on the first ten minutes of up. Yeah, yeah there you go, dude. Exactly. I I will. I you, like. I will be just be melting <laughs> in a puddle. Like, yeah. and I might go grab some ice cream to feel better from about myself. There you go. Like, oh my god, well, dude, you're you're clearly just a a ball of femininity now. Like, what's wrong? <laughs> with you, dude? Yeah, Chinese would just totally rip you apart. You know, it's, it's but it just I don't know, man. It, it's taken me a lot. I just don't want I just don't want young men to make the same mistakes that I did. Like, don't wait, don't wait to enjoy freaking uh, Broadway theater. You know, until you're in your forties or what? Like. And I think what you said sort of resonated, right? I think you really look at those older generations, and I, I do. I feel bad for them, man. You, you look at a lot of a lot of veteran suicides are older men, right, with failed relationships, mm-hmm. and it's like it's just sad, you know. That and a lot of you know some of them do come around, but then they have sort of this this mourning of the years that they've lost. I talk. I have a good friend of mine's a VA psychologist and she talks a lot about how she helps men sort of process, you know, trauma and emotions and failed relationships. But then the, yeah. the hardest part is the mourning for decades that they lost sort of, you know, they're in their sixties or seventies when they realize they could have had things better, could have had healthy relationships, but because of all the things we've talked about here today, they, they didn't. It's almost like, losing a loved one. I don't know, man. Heavy stuff. It is heavy stuff. But, you know, like, I think we spent entirely too long at our own peril, avoiding heavy stuff and not cracking cracking it open for everybody to go, let's lay all this shit out on the table and let's talk about it. Yeah. It it needs to be talked about. It does, man. We can't solve questions without opening up the problem and looking at it for what it is. Yeah, for sure. And all this ugliness. Yeah. And it's, Hey, it's not easy. It's not, we're not, 
I'm not specially trained to do this, man. I have a degree no. in English, um, you know, and I have attended several military schools. I, I can talk <laughs> about direct fire control measures like nobody's business, bro. Right. Like I can talk yeah. to you about troop leading procedures and teach you how to plan and attack like super in my comfort zone. Like how do I, t- how do I talk to 18 to 24 year old infantrymen about healthy, intimate relationships? It's, it's not easy. Right. I'm not trained to do that, but it's just as important to our effectiveness yeah. as a fighting force, I'd argue. And if it's going to mean something like we need to help our people be better people. Yeah. And I completely agree. I think that's the approach that you have to take and you have to I think you have to be capable of of not only that, but we kind of led with this and it comes back around. Yeah. You have to look inward and go, where am I failing at this and, and how can I use my failures? I, there's there's someone who asked um yeah twitter is just a cesspool a lot of times um <laughs> but every once in a while people like pose these really great questions and they they put out these really great ideas you put out great ideas and then sometimes you like i'll see some questions yeah i can't remember who it was but they asked what are some things that you know leaders just don't do or something like that but the first thing i thought of was you know leaders just, my experience in the army was my growing up in in the army Leaders didn't do a great job of talking about their own failures. It was yeah. like, well, I've got to present myself as this pristine person who has this, these great experiences that everybody can draw from and, and get better. You know, like as long as they see me in this perfect image, yeah, like, this Christ-like leader image, yeah, like, things will be great. But I think, yeah, God, dude, we just yeah we lose so much by not exposing our failures and saying, here's where I messed up, and I think you can do better than, than me. Hundred percent, bro. That goes like all the way back to what I talked about. Remember, when I talked about the you know the leader that I really looked up to, who would just whip yeah. into us as lieutenants. You're not authorized to have a bad day as a leader. Like, what does that mean? Everybody has bad days. Like, I've had terrible days. You know, like yeah, I screw a lot of stuff up every day, right? But that sort of created that mindset. Kind of what you said is like, I got to be like Christ-like. You know, I got to walk on water, which is a horrible standard to have to live to. Yeah, man, it really led to some unhealthy abilities to process human emotions. Like I talk about stress, right? Everybody carries their stress in a vessel. For some people, it's a Dixie cup. And for some people, it's a 55-gallon drum. But like when it's full, it's full, right? And when it starts to spill over, guess what? That guy that carries his in a bigger vessel, it makes a bigger splash. Yeah. And and I, and I talk about that, and you're exactly right. And so I, you know, I really try to just like, hey, let me talk to you about what I've screwed up my entire career, not what I think I've done awesome with. And just be human, you know, like, I don't know, soldiers might see me cry in front of them. I don't know. Does that make me less of a leader? Right. Like, I think there is this, you have to portray strength, right? Like they have to be confident in you. They have to know that you're going to lead them well. That doesn't mean that you sort of have this hard shell of perfection, you know, that you live in, Um, because I think they also want to see that you're a vulnerable human that they can relate to. Like, I truly believe that, dude. I'm a huge believer. Yeah. I was extremely fortunate. I, I, I never... Uh, you know, deployed twice. Was a platoon leader for almost you know for thirteen out of fifteen months. Of my first deployment, I was yeah. commander for the entire second deployment. Both times out in like cops, you know, patrolling every day. You know, multiple, you know, everything. I was fortunate enough to never lose someone in in my in my yeah. leadership experience. But even like you know, still had people that got wounded and you know very, very yeah. hurt. You know, very came very close to death. I look back and I always thought, you know, I, I think this may go back to your question about masculinity one of my mistakes i think is not is is thinking that i had to have this shell this this appearance of yeah. steadfastness always but what i think i should have done 
now is, yeah, in the moment, you've got to be on point and you've got to be the person that gets things yeah. done. But I think you have to circle back around and you have to talk to talk to people and say, let's, let's process this. Let's, so, let's, let's go back to what happened and let's talk about it together. Yeah. Because one thing we, we suck at, period, yeah. as veterans and everyone is we're not going to be there after we all go home. Yeah. Everybody's, everybody's going somewhere else. And, and, yep. and I think we have to handle that as grief in itself, right? Yeah. In, in a different way. Yeah. But what we're talking about now is grief too. It, it's, yeah. And it's, dude, it's like basic human psychology. Like, yeah. This is, so when I came to terms with my own trauma, right? I think probably the aha moment for me was my first therapist that I really clicked with made me write down, she's like, write down all the crazy, war stories, right? All the crazy things that you think happened to you or that you were a part of. And like, I, you know, I'd write, uh, I was in this one firefight or this IED went off this one time. You know what I mean? And I bring those in and like lay them out on the table, you know? And she was like, Hey, you understand that like, these aren't normal things that normal people experience, right? Like these aren't normal, atypical human experiences that just like walking down the street, having a nice, enjoyable life that people deal with. Right. And I'm like, no, what do you mean? And she's like, yeah, like, and we started talking about how your little reptilian brain starts to rewire itself, right? And have, you know, uh, trauma response, unhealthy trauma responses. And, you know, you, then you yeah. start seeking that dopamine to replace the dopamine rushes that you got in combat and things like that, right? And I'm like, holy shit, this is actually pretty cool science. But you're right, man. It's 100%. Like, I don't even take the, like, touchy-feely approach. I'm just like, hey, guys, it's like basic science. Like, when you experience a traumatic event, like, your little reptile brain is going to start to rewire itself. And what's pretty cool is that we have ways to overcome that. Right. And it's actually not that, that hard or that crazy. Yeah. Right. Um, but everybody, everybody's different. It's an individualized experience. I'm not trying to disparage that. Right. But it's like, I've seen a lot of big, tough guys that I think I've been able to sort of talk off that ledge. Hey dude, like, I don't think less of you for getting help. Like, Hey man, like check it out. It's science. Like I don't care how big and tough you think you are. Your, your brain's going to do what it wants to do, but cool. Cognitive processing therapy is actually a pretty cool thing that can help you live a better, more fulfilling life. Yeah. And then when you see them, when you see them sort of make that turn and take that first step, like, man, what a, you talk about an amazing feeling as a leader, you oh, see yeah. someone turn their life around. Like, dude, that's humbling. Like I'm almost, you know, it I'm is. getting a little emotional about it right now. I think about some of the times I've seen that happen. You're absolutely right. No, I, I get emotional thinking about it too. I, as painful as it is watching people struggle yeah. still and to this day, watching some of my old soldiers that I, I knew made mistakes, yeah. watching them succeed. is just, gives more joy it's like watching it what yeah you know you had a post i think earlier today you're talking about it's like being a dad of like a, <laughs> of, of like yeah it really is man kids but watching them succeed is just amazing man yeah. it's amazing and i think you know old guys like us we can really help like hey how do we not become that older generation right um yeah. it's, it starts with like hey don't say shit like oh well, if you need help get help like no go find that young man or woman who you know is struggling and sit them down and look them in the eye and tell them about your journey and let them know it's okay. Like, no, no, no shit. I'm telling you, it's okay to get help. Like, let me tell you yeah. how I screwed this up. And I, let me tell you how there's a light on the other side of this that you can't see right now. Yeah. Well, I think it, and I think it's okay to tell them you can't, you cannot do this by yourself. You're not 100%. Capable, and no one is. Yep. And dude, I mean, and that is when we talk about helping men become better men, men are terrible at this. Like we, yeah. we suck at processing emotions, at, at admitting we need help. You know, I talk, you know, I talk to you about my personal story there and everything, but simply taking that step as a leader and helping them understand that 
that's a huge step in the right direction. I think we start talking about combating suicide and things like that. Like we could do a whole other podcast on that. I'm sure. Yeah, definitely could. Anyway, (laughs) think about this dude. And this was, this was kind of intentional. Yeah. I'm a little manipulative. Um, we, we spent a lot of time talking about sexual assault, right. And what we need to do to prevent sexual assault. Not once did we talk about victims or what you can do to keep yourself from becoming a victim. Right. And I think that's super important, right? And it really, because we have to, we have to flip the narrative on this. Like you can walk into a room of soldiers and I've done, I do this all the time. I'm like, Hey, what do we need to do to prevent our soldiers from being sexually assaulted? The focus of that conversation is on the victim. Like, Oh, well, you need to not go anywhere alone after dark and you need to not drink too much and you you need to understand consent. Right. When you flip the question though, and you ask, Hey, what do we need to do to keep our soldiers from sexually assaulting other soldiers? It flips the narrative. And puts the onus on, you know, mostly us as men. I'm not saying that women don't commit sexual assault. They do just very small, minuscule percentages. And men being sexually assaulted is also a huge problem in the Army. So I'm also not doing that. Yeah. But, but does that make sense, right? No, I think it's cool about this. We spent a lot of time talking about things to become better men of character that has nothing to do with, hey, what do victims need to do to not become victims? Because that's just sort of how yeah. I approach the problem. In the same breath, you know, you, you have these more so outlier situations, but they are there. If you're talking about building a culture that is focused on not violating your teammates, is that not helping the same situations? Hundred percent. Those outliers, those outliers as well. Yeah, we didn't we didn't talk about this because I could do a whole podcast on male sexual assault, right? Right. Men. So you know, raw numbers: um, one in four women report that they've been sexually assaulted in the army. One in one hundred men, but the raw numbers are equally about the same, even though the ratios of women are much higher. But here's what's interesting. What do you think the difference in men who report versus women who report? And the, the women who report is low because of all the reasons we know, right? But what do you think the difference in percentage of reporting men versus women is? Uh, I couldn't begin to guess. Men report at rates 50% less than women that they've been sexually assaulted, um, generally by other men in the army. Why do you think that is? Well, I mean, I think shame's a pretty big key player in that. Yeah, it's all the reasons we've been talking about, right? It's, it's not manly to be sexually assaulted. So it's all related. You know, I know I say that, I sound like a conspiracy theorist, right? But these things hurt men just as much as they hurt women. No, you're right. Toxic sort of unhealthy masculinity is exactly the reason why a lot of men don't report that they've been assaulted. And it's huge, right? And so when I talk about this, you know, we talk about false accusations, which we didn't talk about this. It's like my biggest pet peeve. Um, That's a huge pet peeve. So here's my like number one pivot that I use on that. You have an exponentially higher chance of being sexually assaulted as a man in the army, as you do having a false accusation leveraged against you. So just think about that for a minute. Right. And, but, and, but, you know, we don't talk about these things, but, but anyway, that's just sort of, you know, it comes full circle. And it's like, Hey, all these things sort of sexism, gender discrimination, uh, unhealthy, manly ideas of masculinity. It, it hurts men, it, you know, if not as much as it does women, like that's why we care about these things. Right. So. Yeah. I think that's, that's a, a perfect way to discuss it. And I do think it is important to bring up those, I mean, these like really stupid counter arguments that, you know, they don't pass the sense test. No, they don't. Not, not at all. I mean, data, data doesn't lie, you know, and that's why I've just, I've really nerded out on the data and the statistics and stuff as I've, I've, I've dove into this because you got to be ready to kind of, dude, it's like everything else in America right now. You got to be able to counter with like facts and science. The problem is Even then, then like, sometimes. Hey, they, are they going to hear it? You know, like we see how yeah. effective that is, right? You know, even after facts, sometimes people are just so yep. fixed. Yep. That, this is awesome. I appreciate it. It's always yeah. good for me to sort of talk some of these things out because it helps me then when I go talk to, you know, 
and other leaders and stuff, right? Sort of shape how I approach these problems and think about them and talk about them. Well, and I think it's great too. And, and I appreciate the way that you, I like the fact that you put me on the spot because I, I think you asking me those <laughs> questions in the way you did can maybe can help some other leaders put some tools in their tool bag yeah, to help shift perspectives in their own organizations. Yeah. Not even just the military. I think it's a lot of organizations need help with this. Yeah, that's the hard work we have to put in, right? You can't like we've taken the first step of being like, hey, you got to go have these hard discussions. Nobody's equipped to have these discussions. Like, hey, go talk to your soldiers about consent. Like, well, okay, they don't know how to do that, right? So that's what I've really spent a lot of time in my own sort of professional development of, okay, what are some TTPs that we can use to have these conversations? And and you've seen some of the ways that I used to sort of approach it. And so I, I need to get it. I need to put pen to paper. That's sort of my next big project after we get Athena Thriving 2 out the door is to sort of write this playbook on, hey, here's some ways you can talk about these things, you know, for unit level leaders to sort of give them some tools. You know, that's my next, that's my next project is if I don't have, you know, enough going on, right? <laughs> yep. As if, you know, commanding battalions, not enough on your plate. All right, man. Well, I certainly can't thank you enough. This is amazing. I'm very excited to get it out into the world. This is cool. It's just, yeah. just two dudes talking about being better dudes. Thanks for everything. I appreciate giving me a give me a platform to sort of speak my piece. You know. Hey, well, you got a bigger Twitter following. <laughs> so, uh, th- thank you for uh, your support. I just want to take a moment and thank everyone for listening to the episode, and especially thanks Scott for taking time out of his schedule to talk to me. Please know if you have any questions about anything that you heard on this episode, or if you want to find any of the articles that were referenced, you can head to nstiwpodcast.com, where you can find a reference page that should include all those, as well as reference pages for any of the other episodes for this podcast. I highly encourage you to share this episode, or if you want to start a dialogue about the content of my conversation with Scott, you can interact with the podcast on Facebook or Instagram at nstiwpodcast, or on Twitter at nstiwpodcast1. And as always, if you enjoyed this episode or other episodes you've listened to, please take the time to rate and review the show wherever you get your podcasts. It absolutely helps. And finally, if you want to recommend a topic or a guest that needs to be discussed, absolutely contact me on the mediums I've given so far or at nstiwpod at gmail.com. Again, thank you and stay safe out there.